You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. As we continue through our study of the book of Romans, we're going to be studying a portion of chapter 8 today. And if you are taking notes, either with the, uh, the, the outline that's provided on the church app, or for you that are watching online, we see you. We're so glad you're joining us as well. Um, the outline is there uh, underneath the video. It is, uh, it is there for you to follow along or on the screen behind me. And the title of today's study is A New Life in the Spirits. New Life in the Spirit as we move through the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8. And you who have been studying with us in the book of Romans, very quickly, I want to remind us, and for you who are joining us today for the first time, that Romans breaks up into four great specific sections, where we first see the wrath of God displayed, and we are educated on that in chapters 1 through 3, verse 20. And then the current section that we're in, looking at the grace of God, so thankful for the grace of God. And we've been seeing that displayed since chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through our study in chapter 8. Then we will see the plan of God in chapters 9 through 11, talking about how God has a plan for the nation of Israel. And Paul speaks about that and lets us know, hey, Israel's not done. God's not done with Israel. And then after that, we see the will of God. And the will of God there, starting in chapter 12, all the way through the end of the book in chapter 16, is where all of this doctrine that Paul is building up and giving to us, the foundation that he's laying, he's like, all right, now go. Now go do. Now go and walk out what you know. And I'm excited to get to that maybe next year, whenever we finally get to that point. I'm just kidding. We will get there at the end of this year. But anyways, as we follow and have been following the outline of the book of Romans up till now, we have covered a lot of ground, a lot of ground. Specifically, we have learned again that we are all sinners, that we are all sinners who are separated by our sin from the Lord and unable to, in our own merit, in our own righteousness, to get to God. Our sin separates us from the Lord and we cannot bridge that gap on our own. And for that, the Lord had an answer. His great love, which sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live here on the earth, fully God and fully man, to live a sinless life, a perfect life, and then go to the cross and die for you and for me and for the whole world, that we would have access to God through a relationship with him. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God that we've seen there. And what we know as we enter into a relationship with the Lord is that we go from being positionally against the Lord to now being positionally in with the Lord. We go from being away, separated from the Lord, to now being at peace with God. And Romans chapter 5 showed us that reality, that we who are believers in Jesus, we have peace with God. No longer are we against Him, no longer are we standing opposed, but we are now reconciled to Him. What's more is then we started Romans chapter 6, where there was now a call to be sanctified, a call to walk with the Lord, to no longer present ourselves to sin, but to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and to walk in that way in this life, to no longer, you know, sin that grace may abound, or to sin occasionally since we're under grace, but to count ourselves as no longer slaves to sin, to count ourselves dead to sin. The past few weeks, we've been looking at chapter 7. And what we've seen first is that no longer are we no longer slaves to sin, but we're also no longer slaves to the law. No longer are we bound by a standard that we could not keep. The law was never meant for us to be saved by because we can't meet it. It was meant to show us that we need a Savior. 
And now that we have that Savior, Jesus, in a relationship with him, what we have now is a trajectory given by the law of how to live for the Lord. The word of God shows us how to live, how to walk with the Lord in this new relationship with him. And that life, that relationship, to live that way, we learned last week from the example of the Apostle Paul, is frustrating. It's a frustrating life to live. It's a frustrating life to live, and we saw that played out in the example by Paul because he showed us there in, in the latter part of chapter 7, hey, I know what's right. I know what the Word of God says. I know what's right to do, but you know what? That's not what I do. That's not the thing that I do. In fact, the thing that I know that is against the Word of God, the things that I know that I don't need to do, well, that's what I naturally tend towards. That's what I lean towards. That's what I go with is what the Apostle Paul said. He displayed the struggle, the struggle that we all have within us, the struggle that we all know is real in this life that we walk with Jesus. And I'm thankful that Paul has the struggle too, because if Paul can struggle, hey, I know that my struggle isn't so bad. I know that I'm not alone. We're not alone in the struggle. And what Paul wants to show us as now he jumps into chapter eight, and as we study through chapter eight, is how this life that we're called to live, this life that says, hey, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God, walk away from sin, present your members as members of righteousness and no longer members of iniquity. As he says to do that, chapter eight shows us how to do that. It shows us the how. It shows us who helps us with that, who leads us in that. But I love what he does coming off the end of chapter seven and into verse one. Because in verse 1 of chapter 8, read with me there as we pick up. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirits. See, Paul opens up coming out of Romans chapter 7 and moves into Romans chapter 8. And as we see, as we move through it, we are going to explore and see what, or again, I should say, who is necessary for living the life that is with the Lord. Who is necessary? Who lives within each of us to help us with the sin struggle that we have and leads us to walk victoriously? But in verse 1, Paul wants to first, before he espouses on how to live it, on who gives the power and what it looks like, he wants to encourage the body. He wants to encourage the believer who struggles. He wants to encourage us today, the church, to see what he says there and what it says in verse 1. He says, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants to show that there is no condemnation, that there is no condemnation there. And when he says, therefore, that connects us, that one word connects us to everything that has been laid out up until this point. And in light of everything, in light of everything we know as a believer, as a Christ follower who is saved by the grace of God, who is saved by the love displayed in Jesus Christ dying on the cross and covering our sin with his blood, and we stand no longer in our own righteousness but his, we know that we now stand not condemned. And Paul wants to encourage the believer before he explains to the believer. 
Now, we need to hone in on this word condemnation if we're to understand what Paul is wanting to say here. What we see here is the word condemnation. It refers to the penalty that the verdict demands. It refers to the penalty that the verdict demands. And we know through studying the book of Romans that there is a verdict out there on all of humanity. And that verdict is guilty. It's guilty. And we know what we're guilty of also from the book of Romans. Sin. We're all guilty of sin. The Bible is explicit on that. All are sinners for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has separated us from the Lord. We are guilty of sin, born into it and guilty of committing it. And so too is there the penalty of our guilt, death. It is death. But if you are in Christ, Paul wants to tell you today, the word of God wants to share with you, if you are in Christ in a relationship with him, you stand no longer condemned, no longer to be subject to the penalty of the verdict that the verdict demands, no longer subject to the penalty that the verdict demands. Why? Because we know Jesus paid the price. Because Jesus again came to this earth because of God's great love and he lived a sinless life and then he died a criminal's death for you and for me, for us, that we would have a relationship with him, that we could apply that finished work to our life through faith and so walk with him so that we could simply be saved, so that we could cry out to God and stand before him now justified. And Paul on the heels of Romans 7 that described again the struggle, the frustration that we have with sin, the, the struggle that we have to be like, I know what is right, I know what is good, but that's not what I do. The struggle that is real within us, he wants to say now, look, you who are in Christ, God does not condemn you. You who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we understand that condemnation there, it is the penalty that the verdict demands. And so because Jesus took that penalty upon himself, we know that we stand no longer condemned as we stand in him. But there are some things that we need to understand about that to really get the whole picture. And the first thing is that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus, understand that Paul says this to you, there is therefore now no condemnation. And what he's saying there is that condemnation that we feel, that we all feel, is not from God. That the condemnation that is on or in your heart and life that you feel or hear or see, hey, that is not from the Lord. Now, I want to be very careful and make it very clear today as we begin this. That condemnation that you feel believer is not from the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But if you find yourself here today and you are not in a relationship with Jesus... If you have not taken the finished work of Jesus Christ and applied it to your life, then understand you are under condemnation. That there is condemnation on your life. There is judgment for sin. Judgment that Jesus took on the cross, that he paid for us. But if we don't apply that finished work to our life, hey, we still have the condemnation on our lives. So for the believer, there is none. For the unbeliever, there absolutely still is. But for the believer... Again, condemnation is still something that you experience. But as under Christ, you are not, that is not from the Lord. Please understand that. Please understand that you believer here today, you Christian here today, who has blown it, as we all have, because we're all sinners, even after we're saved, we still sin. We need to know that the condemnation that you feel, that you hear, that you get, that is not from the Lord. That is from the enemy, the devil. And he wants to condemn you. 
He wants to make you feel like you can't go to the throne room of grace. He wants to keep you from walking in victory with the Lord. So understand, if you today feel condemnation for something that you did before you were saved, or even after you were saved, if you blew it yesterday or this morning, let's be very real with ourselves here today, God does not condemn you. We know from Romans chapter 4 that God does not impute iniquity, meaning that he doesn't keep a record of your wrong. He doesn't keep a record of your sin. He takes it. What do we know from the word of God? He takes it. He puts it behind his back. He separates it as far as the east is from the west, and he casts it into the deepest, darkest sea. You who are in Christ Jesus are not condemned. But I do want to mention that that condemnation that is from the enemy is definitely from the enemy. Again, I want to make that abundantly clear. But what is from the Lord, you believer, is not condemnation, but conviction. And conviction is not condemnation. Please understand that today. Conviction is not condemnation. And this is important that we see this as we begin to look at life in the Spirit, as we begin to look at life walking in Jesus. Because though condemnation on the life of the believer, again, is not from the Lord, conviction absolutely is from God. You see, where condemnation is what the enemy uses to keep us from walking with the Lord, conviction leads us further into life with him. Conviction leads us further into life. You see, condemnation, again, is that voice inside your head that when you blow it, comes to you and says, what are you doing? Why are you going to the Lord right now? He knows what you did. Why would you even bother? Or as you Christians seek to strike out and move and walk on mission, which always brings opposition, there comes the enemy who's like, hey, you remember that failed marriage that you had? Hey, you remember that thing you did in high school? You remember what you did in college? Remember what you did with that someone at that someplace with that something? Hey, why are you even trying to walk in this life with the Lord? Understand today again, church, that is not from God. If you are in Jesus Christ, he does not condemn you. He does not hold that against you. That is the enemy. But do understand this, Christian, that conviction, well, that is that other voice as you seek to follow the Lord that says, hey, you blew it. And it's loving, but it's resolute. You blew it. And so now what you do is you don't sit in it, but you repent and you walk out of it. You deal with it. And that is definitely from the Lord. Because again, what we have now as believers is we have a guide in the word of God that leads us away from how we were, how the world is, and seeks to lead us deeper in relationship with Jesus to where we look more like Jesus as we read his word, as we commune with him, as we walk with him, so too will we be convicted by him of the things that need to go, need to be dealt with. Later on in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul is going to call the believer to say, hey, don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we see that there is transformation that needs to happen in the life of the believer. We're in our life as our minds are transformed by the word of God, by a relationship with God. Hey, what happens is the stuff that we have within us, the sin, the issues that we all have, those need to be dealt with. And they're dealt with by God's word. And they're dealt with by the Holy Spirit, making us aware of them and then telling us, hey, repent, walk out of it, go forward away from sin and into life with the Lord. Condemnation is not from God to the believer. Conviction absolutely is. We need to know the difference because as we walk in this life, again, Satan's going to try to pull you back. He's going to be like, you blew it, man. God doesn't want you. God can't use you. God can't use you, your damaged goods. 
And the Lord's like, no, 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 I paid for that. Jesus is like, I took care of that on the cross. I took care of that. I love you. I do not hold you in condemnation. But this that you're doing does need to go. Deal with it. And let's deal with it together. God is so faithful to help us and to deal with it together. Condemnation, not from the Lord. Conviction, absolutely for the Lord. Both present, both need to be dealt with the way that they need to be dealt with properly with the Lord. And we see this amazing truth that Paul displays here. In verse one, letting us know that we are not condemned, that we are no longer under condemnation. And he lets us know that. And now what he wants to do is seek to move to the text to explain what that means now, how that applies to our life. And he does so by first sharing of a new law there for the believer. There in verse two, it says, for the law of the spirits of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, Paul, as he's opening up about this life in the spirit, he's mentioning two laws here that are at work in the world. One that is of the spirits and one that is of sin and death. And the law of sin and death, we know that one very well. It's the one that we're born with. It's the one that we operate in. The law of sin and death is that which we live in as humans. We're born into sin and our sin produces death. We are fallen and in our fallen state, death is produced by sin in the world. But we know that in the Spirit, that the law of the Spirit of the life in Jesus Christ is what we who are in Christ, that's what we serve now. That's what we have the ability to serve now. We who are called out of our old life to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God now, we have this ability to no longer have to serve the law of sin and death, but to serve the law of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. And we do that, and here's, here's where it all starts to come out. We do that because the Spirit that gave Christ life, the Holy Spirit that was a part of the resurrection of Jesus, lives in you and he lives in me. He lives in you and he lives in me, and that is where we walk from. That is who we walk in now. We are alive in Jesus because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead so too now lives in you and me. And so we're able to serve this law because Jesus, again, came and he made a way for us to do it. He made a way for us to do it. And that's what Paul reminds us of in verses three through four. As he speaks there of Christ coming and fulfilling the law, keeping it perfectly, though in the likeness of sinful flesh. When it says he was in the likeness of sinful flesh, we need to make sure that we know. It's not meaning that he was sinful because we know that Christ was sinless, but he lived as a human, fully God, fully man, able to be susceptible, susceptible to pain and to hurt and to all the human temptations that we are subject to, but yet without sin, the Bible tells us. And we know that he paid the price keeping the law he kept it perfectly, lived sinless, and then went to the cross and died the, de the death that we deserved. And it says there that sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And literally what that means is that sin was sentenced and judged there on the cross of Calvary. He took the condemnation that you and I deserve, the penalty that we should have received, and he took it on the cross so that you and I, we who believe in Jesus Christ, now walk, verse 4 says, no longer, no longer in the flesh, but we walk according to the spirits, not according to the flesh, no longer condemned by the law and death. Therefore, therefore, in Christ, no longer under, under condemnation. And Paul is saying all this to set us up, to move us forward. But what we need to do right now 
And we can scarcely move through the book of Romans. We can scarcely move and end a study in the book of Romans. And you have been, who have been sitting here and, and uh, studying this book for much time, you know this. We can scarcely end a study without being like, hey, <laughs> you need Jesus. You need a relationship with him. But here today in the middle, as, as we think about this, as we think about what Jesus has done, it begs the question for you to ask and to be asked today, are you one who is living in a relationship with Jesus Christ or are you still under condemnation? Because understand, you believer who sit here, you sit here no longer condemned, but you again who, have, who are sitting here who don't have a relationship with Christ, you still have condemnation upon your life. So are you in a relationship with Jesus today? If not, can I ask you, especially if you've been sitting here, if you've been listening, if you've been studying the book of Romans, or if you've studied any part of the Bible before and know of Christ's great love, why not? What are you waiting for? What is holding you back from that? Because understand, Jesus held nothing back from you. And he holds nothing back from you now. He says, come to me. He says, come to me now. Come to me and be saved because he paid the price. He made a way for us to have life, life that is no longer condemned, life that is no longer under condemnation or subject to judgment, but is now free and living in him and living free from the bondage of sin and death that we all are born with and born into. So I, I just have to ask, and I want to ask right now, do you have a relationship with the Lord? And if not, why not? What are you waiting for? He is waiting for you to come to him. He's waiting for you to come to him. And Paul's going to continue on now. And he's going to continue on. And what he's doing, again, is he's leading to this crescendo, quite honestly, of letting us know what life in the Spirit looks like and who powers our life in the Spirit. He shows there with a comparing and a contrasting of mindsets that we see in the world. A comparing and a contrasting here, looking there in verses 5 through 8, of what it looks like to be, again, an enemy with the Lord. To be that one who is away from the Lord, walking in a life that is not with Jesus. Pick up with me there in verse 5. Where he says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, it's important for us to know here, because there's some confusion at times, that Paul here is not speaking of two kinds of Christians. He's contrasting the saved and the unsaved, and he does so to show the futility again of trying to please God in the flesh, of trying to show, hey, this is the law of sin and death that in our natural state we serve. And he starts there in verse 5 by saying, those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those in the spirit, those belonging to Jesus, set their minds on the things of the spirits. The one who is not in Jesus only looks for things of the flesh. And we've talked about this. We've talked about how in our unsaved state, how when we sin, our flesh only wants to be satisfied. And that is the only place that sin ever leads. It's to lead for flesh to be built up and satisfied, which we know it ultimately never is because sin only brings forth death. But we know that the flesh, what it says, is it says, I, I want for me, I want mine, I want what I want. It's kind of like, like a dog, quite honestly. Like when you think about setting mind only on the flesh, like who in here has a dog? Anybody have dogs here? Anybody have dogs? Yeah, we have fish because that's about all we can keep alive. Um, 
we had a dog and it didn't end. I mean, we got rid of her. She didn't die. But, um, <laughs> whoops. Uh, but, you know, when we had that dog, when we had that dog, and you who have a dog, you may, at, at times, that dog may be an alarm clock for you, right? Like it starts very, very quietly, very, very gently, very, very courteously almost, you would say, just kind of a light little woof or something like that, like six in the morning. And you're like, no. But if you don't get up, it gets louder and it gets louder and gets louder. And then when you go in there to finally be like, okay, I'm here, it's not happy to see you. Well, it is, but it's only happy for one reason, right? It's just kind of sitting there. It's like, hey, you're here. <laughs> Food, you know, feed me. That's all it wants. It wants to be satisfied. Its appetite wants to be appeased. And that's such a picture of the flesh. Such a picture of the flesh that starts quietly, sometimes doesn't start quietly. Sometimes it's really loud, but oftentimes we'll start quietly. Be like, hey, I'm here. Feed me. Feed me. Lead me. Pour into me. And in our natural state, that's all we have. All we have is the flesh that just wants to be satisfied in its own and for its own. And as we are apart from Christ, that's all we look to. But in Jesus, as we are saved, we have this ability now to look past the flesh. We look past the flesh and we are called to look past the flesh and set our minds on things of the Spirit to think about those things. That's what Paul speaks about in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Where he says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We are called, Paul says, to set our mind on things of the Spirit, to sit on things above. And in our flesh, we don't do that. The one who is in the carnal mind, the one who is apart from the Lord, they only think about the flesh. They only seek to satisfy the flesh we see the contrast. And then again in verse 6, he continues on, that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see, the unsaved person, they're alive physically, but inwardly they are spiritually dead. And I, 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 I want to talk about this for a moment with us specifically here in Paris, Texas, specifically here in the culture that we live in, because what we see here where we live is this ability to put on the best face, the best show, to understand that culture is what gets us in. And the culture here is that you can be as righteous and as moral as possible, and that's okay. But what we need to know and know the truth of the Bible says that you can be outwardly alive and spiritually dead. You can have the appearance of religious. You can have the appearance of moral. But if your heart is apart from the Lord, then you are dead. And that is such a thing that we see where we're at. Such a stronghold that is in this town, that is in this area. Where people think that it, because my, my body is in the church building that I'm okay. Understand that your body being here makes you no more a Christian than you being in a garage makes you a car. We are called to life, to new life inwardly. We are called a new life inwardly. And Paul here is saying that, look, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the in. It's not about what's outward appearance. It's about what's on the in. And the inward should affect the outward. And Paul says to be carnally minded is death, but life in Jesus, there is life and peace with God. And we've seen that in Romans. 
that before we were enemies, but now we are reconciled to him. In verse 7 through 8, finish out the thought, and they show the real contrast. One that, again, we've already been made aware of in Romans 5, speaking of us being at war with God, being enemies, but now we're at peace with him. Not enemies, as we are in Jesus Christ, we're no longer opposed to him, but we are with him. And verse 7 says that the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Again, that's the opposition, meaning that there is no amount of righteousness in the natural man that can bridge the gap. There's no amount of good, no amount of good doing in me that can bridge the gap to the Lord. There's nothing, verse 8 says, that those who are in the flesh, there's nothing that the flesh can do that can please God. And what Paul is doing here is he is showing the contrast in these verses of the carnal and the saved, the one who is in the lost in the flesh compared to the one who is now alive in the spirits. And it's meant to show the reader, again, that this is who you once were, to remind us, to remind us first and foremost, again, if you're a believer that, hey, that is who you once were. And the Lord doesn't condemn you. And you have something that's coming next that he's going to show that leads us in life, but it is also something to show you unbeliever. If you are here today that, hey, look, this is, this is where you are. This is who you are. And in your flesh, in your carnal state, you cannot please God. There is nothing that you can do that will bridge that gap. And he does this to show the contrast. And for you believer here today, he shows it to us to move into to where Paul will now share and reveal and expound on the new life, the new mindset that the believer has, that we are together with Jesus alive in the Spirit. Pick up with me there in verse 9, where Paul says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul now, and there is no mistake as to who he's intending to talk to. He's wanting to speak to the believer, to speak to the Christian After showing the carnal mind and what it thinks on only, he now moves to the believer and what life in the flesh looks like as a Christian. He says there in verse 11, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And then he puts an if in there. And we have to pay attention to the if where he says, if the spirit of God dwells in you. And what Paul is pointing out here is that if you're in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, which we know, we know that the Bible tells us as we are saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, within our hearts and lives. We know the Bible shows that. And so with that, we have a higher power, a higher principle that we live in now. Why? Because we belong to Christ. Because we belong to Jesus And Paul, he's so practical, and I love how practical and how logical he is in these verses here. Or in verse 9, he's like, if you there, if you are, but you are not in the flesh, if you're, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. He's so practical. He's like, if you're in the spirit, the spirit of God dwells in you, then you are not in the flesh. You are God's. And so move forward. He's like, the rest of these verses, the rest that I'm going to be sharing, hey, these are for you. If you're not, you're back in verses 5 through 8. If truly the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
lives in you, then you're going to move forward. If not, you're back. You're back in the verses that we just went through, meaning that you are still unable to please the Lord, unable to walk for the Lord, unable to do for the Lord what comes next. Walking in a life that is victorious, walking in a life that is in the Spirit, walking in a life that is with Jesus. Why? Because you don't have the Spirit dwelling within you to lead you, to guide you, and to empower you. It's very simple. It's very simple, and I love that it's simple because I need simple. That the believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling in them, and that Holy Spirit is there to seal us and to empower us. It's meant to seal us and empower us. It seals us in that when we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, we know that we belong to the Lord, that we belong to him. We are his. That is a seal set upon our hearts, set upon our lives to where we belong now to Jesus. We know whose we are, where we stand. But it also empowers us to live and to walk in this life that we're called to. Again, a life that we are called to live, that we are not in ourselves able to live. We've, we've, we've seen that. We've under, we need to understand that as clearly as we can because we are called as believers to count ourselves, reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. To reckon ourselves no longer slaves to sin over here, but alive and slaves, bondservants to Jesus Christ. To walk out of bondage and into victory with Jesus. But we cannot do that in and of ourselves. We can't. That's the call, but we can't do it. And so what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives to do that. And verse 10 says that if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And again, what that is, is this reality that, hey, we're still here, right? Like we're all still here. We're all still kicking, though our bodies are constantly falling and failing and falling apart, some faster than others. But, you know, that is what it is. And one day we know that because we are sealed there in the Holy Spirit, as we continue on in this life with Jesus, we know that we have a body waiting, a new forever, eternal body with Jesus in eternity. And that is an amazing truth. It is an amazing truth. But what we see today that is most important for our purposes, because we are a church, you are the church, we are the church who are called to live here now in the Spirit, called to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, to that, verse 11, is what we key in on as we finish, where again it says, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through Him, through His Spirit who dwells in you. Meaning this church simply, and we've already mentioned it before, but I want to make sure that we get it because it's so important. It's so important and it's so simple that it's almost silly, but it's so important that we get it. That he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, lives within you. Verse 11 again, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, we need to know that in the resurrection, we often attribute that work just to God the Father and God the Son, and indeed, both of them were involved. But the Holy Spirit was also involved in that work as well. The Holy Spirit, who is indeed the third member of the Trinity, he is not an it, he is not a force, but he is a who. He is God the Spirit. And he too was involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says in Romans 1-4 that he gave life to Jesus, that he was the power that gave the Lord the ability to resurrect. And that same Holy Spirit, we've already mentioned it, that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in me and lives in you. 
as you are in Christ Jesus. He lives in you, and he lives in me, and he lives in us. And what that's meant to do, what that's meant to do is for the rest of chapter 8, for the rest of Christianity, for the rest of our life, what that's meant to do is to make us realize that, again, in and of ourselves, we have no ability to do what God is calling us to, but with him living within us, empowering us and guiding us, we can. But we have to understand that that's there and that's available. The Holy Spirit is there and available and wanting to work in us and on us. And as we do, what happens is we move forward with the ability to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We just have to be willing to do it. We just have to be willing to say, Lord, I want you to help me deal with this sin that you're convicting me of. Lord, I want you to help me. I want you to help me and lead me and guide me to work in this way that you're calling me to. This step of faith that you want me to take, this move away from where I'm at further in with you, I know that I need you for that. We just need the boldness to ask him to help us and know that as we do so, he's there to do it. As we do so, he's there to help us, to lead us, and to guide us. The same Spirit, church, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and he lives in me. And he lives in his church, which is so important for us to realize as a church, because we are called as a church to be a light, to be on mission, to be here where we're at, wherever you find yourself in the day-to-day, at your work, at your home, with your family, with your friends, with the strangers that you encounter every single day. We are called to live with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit within us. We are called to live with him leading our life. And it starts every single day, just like what we've been saying over and over again. You wake up, it's like, all right, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you right now. And when I realize that when I'm waking up and I say, Lord, I need you right now, that he's right there, oh, praise God for that. Because I know that in that moment, I'm not waking up and just crying out and saying, all right, I think you're around. You're maybe far off. No, he is right here with me and with you and with us. And when we get that and we walk forward in that power, We walk forward with that power in us that we know is accessible and the rest of the Bible shows us that explicitly that the Lord is so there to help us, to fill us, to empower us, to lead us as we are faithful to ask him and willing to let him. Then we walk forward out of sin, out of our life, out of our flesh, further in with him. And that's what the world sees. That's what the world around us sees. And the world around us desperately needs to see that today. The world around us desperately needs to see a bunch of believers, a bunch of Christians who realize, one, that God loves them, is not mad at them, does not condemn them, and has given them the power of the Holy Spirit within them to lead them forward in mission. And if we can catch that, if we can catch that reality and walk in the boldness that it gives us, people will see Jesus. People will see Jesus, and they'll see the freedom. They'll see the freedom that Jesus brings from the bondage of sin that he breaks the desire to feed the flesh, that he breaks the desire to feed the sin and leads to new life, life that is new here and life that is new and eternal after here. And so the question for all of us today, the question for all of us today is are we living that life? Are you living in that way, believer, where you know that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you?
if you are in Christ Jesus, that you are no longer condemned. Christ loves you. He's not mad at you. He wants to lead you in a life out of sin and into victory with him by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your might. You can't do it. I can't do it. We can't do it. But the Holy Spirit living within us can and wants to, if we'll let him, if we'll submit and ask him to help us. So are you living that way, believer, unbeliever? Why are you living the way that you are? And, and I ask that that way because Jesus is right there for you. He's right there for you right now. He's right there for you right now saying, I paid the price. I paid the penalty for your sin that you are guilty of. Come to me, cry out to me. And he invites you today and every single day. He invites you today and every single day. And understand that with him, he's always there. But the time will come one day when, you know, your life may end. The time may be up. So respond now. Live the life that we see is available, a life that is not condemned, a life that is in Jesus, empowered to walk out of sin and into victory. Let's pray.